Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human. Welcome to In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. I hope you're ready for an amazing episode because today I have singer-songwriter Peter Katz with me. Peter has been nominated for several awards, and his music has been described by his fans and speaking clients as a thunderbolt for the soul. Peter is not only an incredible artist, he also delivers customized keynote concerts where he combines live performance with motivational insights. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. So I hope you're ready to hear about his journey as a musician and also his unique approach to connecting with audiences. And I'm sure he has so much more to share as well. (laughs) Let's get in the details with Peter Katz. Peter, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Happy to be here. (laughs) As soon as we popped on, I noticed your beautifully aesthetic background, and I did have to call myself out because you have legit guitars behind you that are actually used, and I have one that is just sitting there. (laughs) I have to ask, (laughs) of those beautiful guitars behind you, are either one your favorite? Actually, my those are more the 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 display guitars. Uh, They're they're not as uh, functionally in my repertoire. I have another guitar rack over here that I could, I reached to to grab my favorites. Although I had a I had an event last night so my favorite guitar is is in its case over there. So How um, long have I, you had your favorite guitar? Well, I think I first got it I it's funny I have two of the same guitar because I I think in like 2008 or so I I had always wanted this Gibson J45. It was like kind of it's like such this iconic guitar and I rented it uh, for a tour across Canada, and at the end of the tour, I refused to give it back. <laughs> I mean, I, I legally purchased it at the end of the tour, uh, to be clear. And then I was doing a tour in 2012, and it was like six-month tour, and, I, and one leg of it was in Europe for seven weeks, and, and there was like, I don't know, 49 shows or something that I had in that period of time and on, and, and you know, like 11 flights, it was, it was like this whole routing. And on the, the day I landed and opened up my guitar, uh, the neck was snapped in half. And so it wasn't possible to rent a guitar that I would be able to like accommodate that many flights and returning in different countries. So I just bought the exact same guitar again. So, <laughs> um, so. I, I think of that for uh, musicians that if you have, if you play one particular instrument then, and you've had one for a long time, it's like a best friend. It's like a, you know, it's one of your extremities. You're like, no, this is something that's attached to me, which is why I asked that question. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to think. I don't, I don't think I really kind of stop and think about just the amount of hours and memories um, that I've logged thanks to uh, mm-hmm. those pieces of wood with strings on them. They they are like dear friends to me. 
Yes, that's so special. Well, I'd actually love to hear more about your journey as a singer and a songwriter. How did you get to where you are today? Did you start playing when you were younger? Was this something that you picked up later in life? Give us give us the journey, the background. All right. Well, the musical part, I mean, classic uh, you know, kid taking piano lessons and violin lessons as a kid and I, you know, I I loved music. It just I didn't think it was anything I was going to do seriously or professionally. It was just a fun thing. I came from a musical family. Um, but when I was 12, I discovered the guitar. And as soon as I discovered the guitar, songwriting just kind of became within reach. And you know, so many of the songs that I was learning and that I, that I was loving, I was like, oh, this is like three chords or four chords. And I realized that it was more about the message and the melody than it was about uh, the sort of sophistication on the guitar, uh, at, you know, in those in those early days, and so I, for whatever reason, just really got excited about writing my own songs. And when I started writing my own songs, then something shifted, and I would say, I've stuck with it for many decades since, uh, not because. Let me let me sort of rephrase this. Like, I, if if it was all about just standing on a stage and playing a guitar or standing on a stage and singing a song, I don't think I would have endured uh, what I endured uh, in the uh, in the growing years of my musical career. Uh, I would have given up and give, done something else. But it was really the the ability to to write a song and to have something and kind of process it through the writing experience and then share it live on stage that night and the the meaningfulness of that and the the connections that it that it created with my audiences that's what kind of became the the, the drug and uh and the motivator and uh yeah, I live in Canada and it's uh eight-hour drives between gigs sometimes and there's <laughs> snowstorms and all kinds of things and so I, I feel like it's really ab- about the, the the form of of writing a song that that has kind of kept me in it all these years. Mm, that resonates really deeply, and I'm not a musician. I mean, yes, as you, may, I played piano. I tried violin. I didn't get past the macaroni box. I'll be honest. <laughs> right. But but uh, music is definitely my love language because of the mm. words and because of the emotions that it brings. It can put you in a mood. It can take you out of a mood. I mean, there's just something to what you feel when you experience music. And I have actually heard some really wonderful interviews or seen different podcasts where artists share remembering like writing their first uh, song or their first Mm. rap or whatever it was I was listening to. I'm curious, do you remember the first song that you wrote? Or even if you remember the topic? I remember the whole thing. Uh, it was a it was a song called "My Best Friend," and spoiler alert, I wrote it for my best friend. Uh, her <laughs> name was was Julie, and uh, she was going through a hard time at home and some struggles with her brother. and And uh, and I just had this impulse to to kind of give her a little gift to to brighten her day and lift her spirits. And so I wrote this song, and then I I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. Photoshop at the time was probably Microsoft Word or something, but I I, I made a little. Uh, it was a cassette tape. I'm dating myself, and so I made a little <laughs> uh, cassette tape album art, and I cut it out and uh, made this little tape and uh, handed it to her. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was. I wonder if Julie friend. still has that. Julie, if you still have that, go to the comments <laughs> and let us know. We have to know. That would be amazing. Uh, I would. I'd love to uh, 
I'd love to. I can still visualize the 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 artwork of it. It's probably in a file somewhere on my computer. And, um, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And this audience definitely knows cassette tapes. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, I, on my very first album, which is now sort of a banished album, there's there's three albums that I put out before I officially called my fourth album my first album. Uh, on that very very first album, so you gotta you gotta go deep into the the bins of a thrift store somewhere to find it. If you let the last song roll for like 10 minutes, then there's a hidden track, which is me at 12, 13 years old, whatever it was singing, uh, singing that song. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Again, we're going to put this out. Somehow this is going to get to the right people and we are going to uncover that for you, Peter. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. That would be fantastic. And so as you were getting started, did you find that, you know, you were trying to identify where you wanted to be in music because that's one of the things that's I found also really beautiful when an artist starts to find their way is they may start in one genre, but then they could find that they fold over into another or just their music pulls from different genres. So how did you start to find your identity as it pertained to I'm a musician and this is the kind of work or type of music that I want to pursue? Well, it, it's interesting, and there, there's a connection between the songs that I realized were were sort of the ones that were the most me, and and how that led to my my speaking career. But at the time, I didn't know that I was going to be a speaker. But the songs that that really kind of stood out, and and they were the ones that people would come to my shows for and request, were the ones where I was. I, I tended to be kind of like processing some kind of significant event or whatever that was like you know the 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 one song that that really kind of set me in motion on my music career at the very beginning was I was in a production of a play called The Laramie Project and uh for those who are not familiar Laramie Project is a play uh it's sort of a like a a real I forget what the word is it's called like verbatim theater basically where they're transcribing uh, actual you know, um, things that were said and courtroom statements and all that kind of stuff. And it's about the the very tragic death of Matthew Shepard, who was a university student, a young university student from Laramie, Wyoming, who was the victim of a hate crime because he was gay. And so they turned it into this really uh, powerful play. And I was in theater school at the time. So I'd been I'd been writing songs and playing open mics, but not really thinking that this is going to be my career. It was it was something that I was passionate about and I loved. But the director of that show, uh, her name is Marianne McIsaac. I'm still still friends with her to, and connected with her to this day. She uh, she really changed my life. So, but anyways, at the time I was you know I however I was not twenty years old or whatever it might be, and we were doing this play, and she felt that it wasn't really the right thing at the end of the play for us to all come out and take this big curtain call and bow and, you know, wave at our parents or whatever. Like the, 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 the end of the play had this, this weight and heaviness and emotionality to it. And so she had this idea that rather than us coming out and taking a big bow, we would come out and sing a song uh, and, you know, come out with candles and and sort of have this, this moment of acknowledgement. And she knew that I'd been playing open mics and, and writing these different songs. And she asked if I would write a song for that moment. And so I, uh, I kind of dove into the play and, and just kind of figured out the parts that really resonated with me the most. And there's this one, 
there's this one scene in the play where Matthew's father, Dennis, uh, is in the courtroom and he's addressing the the, the two young men that, that uh, killed his son. And he says something to the effect of, you might think you left my son Matthew out there by himself, right? Because they, they tied him to this fence in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. It's just a t- terrible story. But he wasn't alone. Uh, he had the the Wyoming sky and he had the stars that he grew up with and he heard the wind that he knew so well. And so I just had this image of Matthew out there and these the stars in the sky and him sort of tied to this fence. And and I I, I wrote the song called The Fence and really kind of situated in Matthew's voice. And I presented it to Marianne and and she she really loved it and and then I wrote a kind of a choral arrangement for the rest of the cast to come out halfway through and every night for 2 weeks I would uh, walk out on stage and uh, at the end of the show play the song that the rest of the cast would come out and and we did this moment and uh, Marianne walked up to me at the cast party after it was done and she said hey uh I think you could do this for your career and uh, I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? She's like, I think you could be a professional songwriter. And uh, I, I wouldn't say that that it clicked exactly in that moment, but a few months later it clicked. And I ended up writing more songs where I was, I was kind of, kind of translating other people's stories into these songs and, and they became kind of my signature. And, and those kind of story songs became the, the things that I became known for. And uh, like I said, you know, five minutes ago, whenever I started telling this story, that also ended up leading to my speaking career because people would come to my shows as much for the storytelling aspect as they would for the songs themselves. Mm, do you know if Matthew was that his name? Matthew, his father ever heard the song that you wrote? I don't know that his father did, but his mother wrote a book and was on the speaking circuit. And uh, about 10 years ago, I was invited to play the song before she spoke. So I got to play the song and and she heard it and it was for about, uh, it was up at York University here in Toronto and there was about a thousand uh, members of the, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus community uh, as well as allies. And so she was, she was addressing them and, uh, and I got to play. So, and I got to meet her and she signed a copy of the book and gave it to me and it was a pretty, pretty special moment. I was going to ask, I, Describe that feeling of, of playing a song for this woman's son. How, how was that when you connected with her? Uh, it was interesting. I got, it, like kind of all the songs that I've written in that way, I, I, could, I could go on for a long time telling you stories of, of pretty amazing interactions I've had with people that I've written songs about that didn't know I wrote the song about them because I heard them on the radio or whatever. Like I, I've got a, a bevy of, of stories with Judy to be to be honest i remember she was like she was on a mission right she was like she spoke to a thousand people there was a lineup hundreds of people long and she sat at the table afterwards and she talked to every single person and so i i i remember just her her presence was was one of of like deep purpose and focus and 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 so i don't know that that her and I, like she was, she was very sincere with me, and we had this little moment. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a a long extended connection because there was just so many people that were eager to connect with her, and and she was she was there to connect with everybody. So I remember just kind of taking my little moment with her. But I think what was 
maybe even more impactful about the day was just playing the song for that audience and just feeling the impact in the room and the, uh, you know, music is, I do a lot of work with a, a, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe. And so I kind of get a lot of neuroscientific perspectives on things. And she talks about how we actually process music in our amygdalas, which is where we process our feelings. And so music kind of gives us this direct access point to our feelings and we can process things. We can have a cathartic experience in a, a much quicker way than, than we might have to just sort of trying to conjure it. And so I remember over the course of the four minutes of that song, just feeling the the release, the the grief, the catharsis, the 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 feeling seen, the the healing. You know, because Judy also was responsible for a, a a bill being passed called the Matthew Shepard bill, which was a at the time you know kind of prosecuting somebody for their sexual orientation was not considered a hate crime, and so that that bill was part of changing that. So I, I remember just being in the middle of that moment and just being grateful that I I had this this tool that I could deliver in 4 minutes that could provide a lot of kind of emotional support and healing to, uh in that moment. I definitely have had moments where I didn't know what I was feeling or I didn't know what I was mm. even thinking but I was just feeling very heavy and then I would turn on a song and it would I just cry. <laughs> So yeah, I appreciate yeah. you connecting that because I, that's also really helpful when I work with individuals who are looking for some kind of support on how they're processing the weight of something they've gone through and they've known my background. I tell them one of the tools that helped me process grief when I needed to process it and maybe I was in a moment that it wasn't ideal. So I had to contain it until a later time when I could process. Mm. Again, you can't just turn those feelings on, but I had what was called a soaking prayer list and it would just help. It was all these different songs that I knew would trigger the tears, which I believe are healing waters and it would just yeah. flow. And so, you know, I asked about that connection and sharing your song with Matthew's mom, Judy, because it, we feel this from songs that were not written for us, <laughs> you know, and we're like, we hear this song and it feels so personal and to be someone who is writing those songs that, and, and to do it in a way that is very personal for people because you're taking their stories. I can just imagine, you know, your heart feeling very connected and you described it in a different way, which I think is beautiful because it wasn't just a connection to Judy. It was a connection to everyone in that room. And that's really what music does. And I am curious how you decided to go from being a full-time, you know, singer and songwriter to then bridging your career over into the speaking world. When did you decide to do that? And how did you decide to marry these two, I guess, passions, I would say? Where did this idea of keynote concerts come from? Well, uh, I, I already mentioned my, my dear friend, Dr. Robin Henley Defoe, and she always says, if it's meant for you, it will find you. And uh, so it's not that I actively... In, in the beginning, it's not that I pursued a, a speaking career, but I did become known as a as a storyteller. And there, there's a few kind of uh, amazing, unexpected events that happened. The, the biggest catalyst was uh, in 2013. I was in the thick of playing 150, 200 shows a year. I was um, traveling in Western Canada. And I was booked in a small town that I'd never heard of before. And I was booked at this 
giant theater. And I was utterly confused as to who was going to show up to this show. And long story short, the place was packed to the rafters and they were rabid fans. And uh, long story short, the this youth mentoring program called Faces had been using my music as part of their curriculum. It's a it's sort of an outdoor program for kids where they go hiking and rock climbing, whitewater canoeing, but it's not really about hiking and rock climbing. It's about giving these teenagers the opportunity to face their fears and develop empathy and kind of, you know, do kind of humaning uh, 101. And they had been using my music. And so hundreds of kids every summer were learning my songs. And I was I was kind of like deeply infused in this community, totally unbeknownst to, to wow. me. And not only that, but they had organized this show because they they had felt that I would be perfect to work for them. And they had reached out to my management who had said, no, uh, Peter's not a camp counselor. So, so they weren't even able to kind of access me. Uh, and so they organized the show so they could ask me directly if I would come work for them, which of course I said yes. And fast forward 10 years later, I actually just got back three days ago. I, I run that program as a session lead every summer. And, and so I've been doing this for the last 10 years. And my friend Dave, who is one of the kind of founders of, of Faces, he's the one that pulled me aside back in 2013 after that first summer of, of working there. And he said, you know, Peter, I'm a teacher. I, in high schools, we have these, these people that come in called speakers. He said, I've seen the way that you connect with teenagers. I've seen you on stage. You need to put that together and call it a keynote concert, and I'll help you. I'll help you write it, because he knew students very well. So Dave, uh, my dear friend Dave, helped me write that first keynote uh, concert for students and booked me to do it at his high school, and uh, it just kind of clicked. and And I did that for uh, until around 2017, and then I was at another event, and I, I won't go too too deep in the weeds, but basically, someone in the audience saw me there. I just did like a little. 10 minute song and story. And she said, Hey, I run this conference for entrepreneurs. Uh, and it's this uh, conference where like, you know, entrepreneurs, startups, kind of all the, you know, kind of lone wolf uh, people that are, you know, trying to grow their businesses, we're going to be at. And she said, I think you'd be a perfect keynote. So she pitched me to the founder of that conference. And it just so happened that his favorite song of all time was one of my songs. And so he sort of saw me as Bono or something like that. And so even though I'd never given a keynote to grownups at that time, he put me as the closing keynote to all 500 people. And there was, you know, there was CEOs and some pretty big people in the audience. And I remember, I remember I, you know, I worked for months preparing this talk. Cause I was like, this is a bit of a coup that I, I have this opportunity. And uh, I remember standing on stage and I, I had this realization. I'm like, Oh, the life of an artist and the life of an entrepreneur is almost the exact same job description. There's no set paycheck, no set hours. You're really passionate about this thing. You have no idea if it's going to work. It's probably not going to work. Um, <laughs> and like those things are just like so accurate um, to the experience. Uh, and so I just felt 500 people lean in. And it was this like this instant standing ovation at the end. And, and I, I just, I, I called my mom on the drive home. I said, I just changed my life. I, I, I know it. And sure enough, the, the most incredible speaking agency from here, here in, in Canada reached out to me because there was a lot of buzz about that talk and many of their clients were there and called me into their office. And I kind of instantly had a speaking career. And as soon as I started 
speaking and bringing, I, I always call them keynote concerts because I'm using music and storytelling as part of it. If my music career was this kind of slow, steady uh, trudge through the mud for 10 to 15 years, my speaking career was was more of the uh, uh, Justin Bieber discovered on YouTube instant star <laughs> kind of a trajectory where as soon as I landed in the speaking space, it it worked. And and of course, I, I really honor that, you know, the great speakers have really dedicated their uh, a lot of years and time to, to their craft. And so I would say in the early years of speaking, I, I kind of was like getting away with something because I could tell a story really well. I could play a song really well. And then all the other parts was the growth edge for me. But I threw myself into that part of it. And then I've, you know, I've, I've become certified as a facilitator and, and really done a lot of deep organizational work at this point. And so I I feel like in the last several years, I was really able to step in and, and serve organizations in a, in a much deeper way. All right, friends, we're going to pause for just a quick second to spotlight some folks who support the show. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. Well, your story is such a great example of when you do the things that feel right. And I talk about this Mm. a lot. I've actually talked about this with people on the podcast as well, how we make decisions as business owners. And the best way to make a decision is by trusting your gut and kind of leaning into what you feel as opposed to what you just think. And so as I'm hearing you tell your story, what's coming up for me is that you, since you were 12, we're following this feeling that felt very natural to you and you continued to pursue it bravely. And I know you mentioned it kind of felt like a slow walk as you're trudging through, you know, but all of that was very purposeful because it then set you apart from speakers who are in the speaking world in a way that isn't like, oh, I'm doing this like tchotchke thing to like make myself stand out. But it really is you just standing in your talents and using your gifts to bring a different kind of experience to, you know, this place where they already were going to sit and listen to someone. But now you have a tool that helps to go deeper and really connect to those feelings through the amygdala, as we just learned. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's so beautiful because a lot of times we do try to think through what's the best thing to do, what's the right, what's the fastest. And really, if you honor your gifts and you continue to stay open and curious and agile, you know, because you never know what life is going to throw you in that situation, you could have said, oh, no, I'm not a speaker, but you were open and you were willing to be flexible to step into that space and serve. And I've just seen this so often in my own life and other people's lives that when we do that, the universe conspires to bring all those good things together in a way that doesn't just uplift you, but it uplifts others. I think that's so beautiful because your life is definitely a testament of that. 
Thanks, uh, thanks, Karen. I, I appreciate that. And and you know, it's just one thread I want to pull on in there is, I, and I think this really is relevant to to entrepreneurs and and sort of kind of people following a, a path that's that's not always linear. <laughs> like you know, start in the mailroom, work your way up to CEO or whatever that might be. Is that so much of my my story in the journey is is these seemingly disconnected experiences, right? And and that that come together in these these unexpected ways and that you know I, I went to theater school um, and so I have this sense of of, of stagecraft and all but I also studied uh, I wrote a play that I toured across Canada and so I, I studied storytelling and then but then I also have this musical background so I bring that in and then but I also like used to teach swimming lessons and so I had like there's there's like all of these random things that that kind of come together. And I, I really, I, I really feel that it's, you know, what you're underlining about this openness to kind of what it's supposed to look like can evolve. And then you end up creating this thing that's kind of this amalgam of, of all this kind of seemingly weird experience, but then that's what totally differentiates you. Right. And so I'm not like, you get to kind of live in this category of one in, in whatever space that you're in. And so there's other wonderful speakers out there and 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 that will do great jobs and the the feedback that i that i get is like well there's no one quite like you and so if people want that specific thing then then i'm i'm the person and so that that's been a cool realization and uh, david epstein has this book called range and he sort of talks about kind of the the late bloomers where you you do all these random things but then they kind of come together in this unexpected way and i feel like uh, I'm an example of that, and to be honest, it keeps evolving. I mean, the 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 work that I'm getting asked to do, just even this week, uh, you know, delivering multi-year programs within organizations. I mean, that wasn't even on my radar, uh, and now it's like, oh, okay. I, but I understand why I can do that because of these experiences that I have. Ooh, that's also a really good little nugget is if we're asked to do something that's new and we haven't mm -hmm. done it before, you can draw on different experiences from your life to say, oh, well, I've done this. I, I actually remember I was talking to my niece about this. We were talking about trying out for volleyball and she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not really good at it. And I said, well, you've played a sport with a ball before, right? So we started that small. <laughs> and sometimes that is just enough to say, well, wait, no, I, I can do this. I can go into the unknown because I have some experience that I can leverage that's going to help me. And then also with that, I trust my capabilities to grow. I trust my capability to serve, right? I trust. And that together, I mean, that is really, I think, a recipe for success that I hope someone took a note on. <laughs> and also, what are what are the experiences that I've that I have that aren't that I wouldn't immediately think are necessarily connected to the thing that I'm doing? And yet how can I take my expertise or my passion uh, in those areas and pull them into this category, which then becomes part of your, your differentiation? Yes. Oh, I love that. Well, this feels like a very unfair question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm. Sure. Do you have any songs that you've written that are close to the top of a possible favorite list? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like asking you to choose is like asking you to choose a child, which one is your favorite. But uh, is there a song that you would like to share and that we can tag on the show notes so that people can go see one that just sticks out in your heart that means a lot to you? I'd love to share that with our audience and we can make sure we go find the link and, and put it in the show notes. 
Sure. Well, it's funny because the songs that 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 I that I'm most connected to are always the songs that I've just written. So I've just written a whole bunch of new songs, but they're they're not available for anybody to hear. So that would be a a, a futile search on your part. <laughs> um, so for the songs that are available to hear, um, if you go on YouTube and search Peter Katz "Come Down," there's a really cool live performance of that song and. What I'll also highlight about that song, which I think has been an interesting part of my my evolution, is when I was just in in the songwriting world, I would tend to sort of tell these long backstories behind the song, and it was like, oh, I was here and I was feeling this, and and I think that worked in the in the kind of songwriters format, but as I as I moved into the the speaking space and the facilitation space, I realized that in in presenting them in the way that I used to present them, it was kind of imposing my story on on people's listening experience. And so that song for me was was a song that sort of helped me transition of like, oh, how do I how do I make it about them versus about me? So now when I introduce that song, rather than telling you the whole backstory, I simply say, this is a song about letting go. And we all have things that we could stand to let go of. And and the truth is, you know, sometimes we want to let go of those things and we're we're frustrated with ourselves that we're like that. But yet those parts of ourselves are there because they needed to be. Maybe they kept us safe. They helped us through a, a, a difficult moment. And so as we think about releasing those things in this moment, maybe we can have a little gratitude for them and say thank you and, and we can let them go to make space for something new. And maybe there's a prompt that I'll give the audience of like, Hey, you know, what's, what's a little something that you want to let go of in order to make room for something new. So I I think that song was a bit of a revelation for me. And, and it's a song I use a lot in my facilitation and my keynotes now. And so I feel like just given what we've talked about in this conversation, it's kind of the, the perfect bridge between those two worlds. And, and I, I I just love that song so much. It it feels like I didn't even write it, even though (laughs) I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that insight to the song as well, because that'll be helpful when someone goes to look for it. They can have a moment to themselves, a journaling moment, a reflection moment as they're listening mm. and they can kind of process. So I, I appreciate that. Before we wrap, I have a couple of rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask mm. you. And so um, this is just a way to kind of get to know. I don't know. I like these questions. There's no reason why. I just really like these questions. So we're going to hop right in. You ready? I'm ready. When you think of self-care, what fills your cup? Whole food, plant-based. Hmm, lovely. What's one mistake you learned in your career? Uh, oh, gosh, one mistake I learned in my career. <laughs> I, I'm pausing because there's so many. Oh, I know. Um, we all know that. Just because- <laughs> the, the thing that's coming to mind, I think, is is like the, you know, 99 people say they love you and you, the one person says they don't, and then you focus on that. So I think it's, it's like, it's just the internal check-in uh, uh, of like, how do I feel about how I did versus letting in the good or the bad? Just like, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. Do you meditate? I do. Daily, often, rarely, or never? Well, you can't uh, say d- never now, but. <laughs> d- daily, daily is my gold standard. So I don't hit it every day, but it is it is a daily practice with some mishaps. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I assume that that's a way that you also channel. And that's why I asked that. Cause a lot of people who are in these creative spaces and on, honestly, even as an entrepreneur, you have to be creative and those who feel most in tune meditate often. So that's why I like to ask. That. I do. I, I've actually been working with a mindfulness coach for the last four years. Ooh, I, I say this all the time of all the 
things I've invested in and of all the, you know, like she has changed my life more than any other person. And, and that mindfulness practice has been essential. I, ca- I cannot recommend it enough. Yes. Yes. Okay. All expense paid vacation to anywhere in the world. Where are you going and who are you taking with you? Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> well, I have, I don't know how to do this ethically. Like, I don't know the, <laughs> the mechanics of a, of a ethical safari, but I've always, I, I, I just love animals. And, and so I would love to somehow, uh, like be in the Serengeti and see the, the, the wildebeest and the the zebras and I just I I would love to just see that I don't know the the right way to do that so I got to do some research and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd bring my my partner Tess absolutely and just a bonus question if you're on the trip are you reading or listening to something like in route to places are you the person who carries a book or you're listening to podcasts uh, both this morning I was reading a book. Uh, I was reading uh, Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering, and then I'm a, I'm a podcast nut. My my kind of number one is the Ritual podcast. Uh, so, uh, and I also just got this app the other day that like does these like 15 minute book summaries that I'm, I'm starting to gobble up. Uh, no, it's not Blinkist. It's actually it's mm. I think it's by the creators of Headspace. It's like a head headway or head something. Mm. And uh, so I'm starting to listen to that as well. I like those too. They're actually really good yeah. even on the walks because I love to read, right. but sometimes I'm like, give me some more. So, <laughs> well, Peter, the, oh, this has been great. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation, giving us some insight. And as we get to learn who you are and what you're doing in this world and sharing those lessons as well, because I think that's really going to help individuals who are trying to figure out, hey, how do I bring all of these things together that seem to be a part of me, but I don't know one way to channel them. And from this experience and this conversation we've had together, hopefully they're hearing that they can honor all those different parts of them. And if they continue to walk on their path, the right opportunities will align. So thank you so much for sharing your story and for being here with us. My pleasure, Karen. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast. <laughs>